Hey, hey, salespreneurs. Welcome back. As always, it's a pleasure being with you. I am extremely excited about my guest today, Ryan Condi. He runs the Let's Buy Business podcast. He also has a lot of experience working with successful startups, leading sales teams. He's bought and sold several of his own businesses. He does that now as a business broker. And we get to talk to him about the difference between buying and building your first business. Uh, he's written a lot about it on LinkedIn and different content sources uh, about how at different stages of your life, one may be better than the other. And so there's some really good nuggets in here that I'd love to, to share with you guys. Um, another quick update here I'm super excited about. I just launched a YouTube channel to support video content on the other side. I've had so many people reaching out asking if if I would do um, an Instagram or anything. And so we're just gonna start with YouTube. I've, I've uploaded all my past podcasts up there and I'm gonna keep it coming every week. So go ahead, please like, subscribe, share with your friends. Uh, so that way I can keep bringing more meaningful content to the salespreneur community and people just like you. So excited about the announcement. Let's get to the show. Hey, Ryan, welcome to the Salespreneur Podcast. Thanks, Clay. Excited to be here. Yeah, uh, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. I feel like I've gotten to know you super well over the last uh, I don't know, year just listening to your podcast. I know you've uh, had so many cool stories on, and so it's cool to, to get to spend some time with you this morning and, and even hear more about it. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. I appreciate you getting up really early. I made you get up super early for this interview, so excited. <laughs> no, this works way better for me. I've got kids, and so um i can get up before they're up that's great but uh i know i know you're going on a trip and i'd love to just like have you introduce yourself you know if you're i know you're going on a trip this week it's gonna be really fun you're gonna meet really cool people when you meet a stranger how how do you go ahead and introduce yourself <laughs> that's a good question uh, i'm not really sure because sometimes people ask well what do you do for a living and uh, I, I do a variety of things right and so mainly with uh, at this point mainly with online businesses so um, I do a lot of things in the acquisition space. Um, I'm a broker. I have some online businesses. I've done a lot of main street businesses too. So like take you back, um, you know, at the start of my career, I started at a company called Qualtrics. Most people are probably pretty familiar with that now. I think I was an employee number 35 or 40. I actually started while I was still in school and, um, it was awesome. I joined and there were probably less than 10 sales reps and it, it was a lot of fun. I got to work on uh, accounts that I probably had no business working on and doing deals I had no business trying to close. And uh, yeah, it was a ton of fun. I was there for actually five years and um, went through the ups and the downs. And I think the, I think there were 30 or 40 people when I started and, you know, 400 or so when I left. And now there's, I don't know, thousands and thousands of people that work at Qualtrics. So um, that's how I started out my sales career. And it's sort of interesting at the, uh, people ask how I fell into sales and I, or how I got into it. And I say I fell into it. I, I applied to a, an SEO marketing agency. I applied to Qualtrics and I applied to a uh, uh, JetBlue at the same time, all, all within like the same week. And I heard back from Qualtrics first. So um, I really wanted to join JetBlue just for the free flights. And then the other company was more on the, uh, you know, actual SEO technical side. And um, yeah, so that's how we got started in sales. It wasn't necessarily planned. It just sort of happened. And um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the fast growing pace of it. I enjoyed the tech side of it. And um, eventually got to a point where I always knew I had I'd started businesses before. Most of them just absolutely failed, Clay. They were not very good. And um, I knew I, I was always going to go off and do my own thing. And so one of the things I felt was, was cool about sales is I was making more money than I probably should have at the age I, I was. And uh, it allowed me to maintain my lifestyle pretty low while 
banking some cash that I would eventually want to either start a business or buy a business or something. In fact, buying a business had never even crossed my mind uh, up to that point, Clay. Um, and then actually when I was at Qualtrics in 2012, there was this business that sold uh, old polyester ties, but they turned them into wallets. So you had these big fat ties from the 70s and they turned them into wallets. And uh, fast forward a little bit, uh, I contacted the owner and I don't know why, but I tried to buy his business and uh, he wasn't for sale. So I, we just chatted every, every other week for, you know, three or four months. And then out of the blue, he was like, Hey, I think I'm ready to sell this business. Do you want to buy it? And I said, great, uh, let's do this. This was all on the side while I was working at uh, Qualtrics. I asked him, Hey, so how do you buy a business? And he goes, I don't know. I don't know how to sell a business. So we figured out how to come up with a plan and, you know, I bought the business from him. And that was my first foray into, uh, entrepreneurship in terms of, uh, let me rephrase that. First four and a successful entrepreneurship venture. <laughs> All my previous ones were, were pretty bad, Clay, and um, none of them worked, right? And so instantly I walked in and there were customers and there was a product and there was product market fit and there was traffic on his website. And there was, you know, this is before Shopify won, right? This is over 10 years ago. And so, you know, there was a custom website with a checkout and everything. And I thought, wow, this is so much easier. If I had to learn how to like design these and then sell them and then figure out who the seamstress were going to be and are the sewers and this would have taken me forever. And I walked in and, you know, the, the day I took over, we had sales and I was like, this is crazy. We, we like made money today, you know? And so that was my first foray into it. Um, and so over the years I went off and started a, a candy factory. We started a candy brand called Blue Moose Sweet Shop and uh, we had 80 employees and got into thousands and thousands of stores. That was a ton of fun and, and so much work. Um, and, and not necessarily like I learned more about that business, which for me was not the right business fit. Manufacturing, lots of uh, manufacturing uh, from an employee perspective. I do better with smaller teams. I don't want to manage 80 people and those types of things. So um, then I also, you know, went back into software sales, right? Because I wanted to, uh, there's some fast growing companies. I joined Podium just for some people that I met at uh, mm -hmm. when I was at Qualtrics. So it was at Podium. I think it was employee number 35 or 40 or something like that. And, and that exploded and that was a ton of fun. And um, at the same time, throughout all this, Clay, I had some things going on in the background, businesses I'd bought, businesses I'd started. And eventually one of them um, started to get to a point where it was, it was as big as what I was doing at my day job. And um, it started to be more demanding. I started working with suppliers at international hours. And it got to a point where I was just not very good at being a salesperson. And I was never the best salesperson, but I was, you know, probably always slightly better than average, which, you know, everybody always says, Clay is everyone's, you know, we're always better than average, right? But um, I wasn't the best, but I wasn't, wasn't the worst, right? But then I started to be pretty bad and uh, it made sense to, to move on and go full-time into the entrepreneurship realm. So at the same time, I had bought some other businesses, combined some, sold some. And uh, yeah, then I went further and further down this path and I felt like I finally found my 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 yellow book road that I was just so excited about and dove deep into it. And since then, um, you know, I've done eight, nine acquisitions. I've sold a bunch of businesses. I've brokered dozens and dozens of deals and, and helped dozens of us, dozens of others actually go through and buy a business themselves. So that's a little bit about my background, how I fell into sales and sort of how I, you know, did sales as a means to an end to get more into entrepreneurship. And I always knew that was the end goal. Yeah, that's, that's really awesome. And I feel like just in, Hearing your story, uh, following some of your podcasts, it's hard to tell if the chicken or the egg came first. It's not like you got into sales because you really wanted to do sales. Um, it kind of seems like entrepreneurship was always the end goal. Is that is that kind of accurate? Uh, absolutely. Even as a young kid, Clay, like I had all these stupid ideas that harebrained ideas that never really made any money, but I tried them. 
And um, I was always fascinated with my parents' friends who, you know, the guy who owned the local Dave's Pizza or the, you know, the guy who owned um, the little software that he sold to restaurants back in 2002 and 2003. Um, I was always gravitated towards them. And even at a young age, young age, I would take these people to lunch. And I don't even know what gave me the idea for that. Um, and my parents always said, you know, because I come from a parents, uh, a line of my mom's side is all teachers. I have professors in my family and librarians and, and things like that. And then my dad was on the business side. Um, but my parents always knew I was going to be doing odd things for a career, right? I don't know why they thought that. Maybe I was just doing odd things as a kid. But those harebrained ideas never works. Um, and it was always sort of a, with, with sales, as I got further and further into it, I realized, Hey, this is actually a pretty good career. I'm getting told no a bunch. I'm getting comfortable with no, I'm getting comfortable with that risk. Um, there are some intangibles that you don't know how to do, such as, uh, you don't, you don't get the background of running a PNL and those types of things, but I figured, Hey, mm -hmm. eventually I'm going to learn those. Right. And so it was sort of a means to an end. And I knew that sales is a great career. It's a wonderful career. You can do really well financially. You can do really well for your family. You can have a lot of success and build great businesses. But I knew that's not what I wanted, right? Um, I was very comfortable with risk. I was very okay with risk. Um, ironically enough, my, my father-in-law is an entrepreneur and my wife is very comfortable with risk, probably even more so than me. Um, but at the same time, we've tried to go about our careers uh, minimizing that risk. And so you know, people think, oh, you got to you got to buy a business and take on a bunch of risk. We tried to go about a bunch of different ways to, to minimize that risk. And that's why we did a lot of things on the side. We bought businesses on the side. We built them on the side while having, you know, that day job that we could fall back on. And if things were, were tough, we had to. We had to be able to dip into that and lean on that. And that was um, for a lot of successful entrepreneurs, either you're you've got a W-2 and you're trying to do it at the same time, or you have a spouse who's got a W-2, right? It's, you know, the secret of entrepreneurship is a supportive spouse who's got a W-2 and, you know, healthcare, right? And those benefits. Um, mm -hmm. So for me, sales wasn't something that I loved. It was more of something that, hey, I think this will get me to where I want to go faster. Yeah. And I, I feel like a lot of salespeople fall into that camp. Um, you know, people that are listening to this, my, myself included. I, I remember one of the first uh, recruiting events I went to for my first sales job, just walking around and like meeting people and asking them why they were doing this. And they all said it was because either they wanted to get into real estate or they wanted to buy a business or they wanted to be able to pay for school without going into debt. And I was like, oh, that makes so much sense because every, um, every other job that I can find doesn't pay that well. And, and sales was really a, a place where I could go and make more money than a lot of my friends and not have to go into debt for school or, uh, be able to buy a house sooner than many other people. And so I think uh, a lot of people can relate to that. Uh, and then also, like you, you're talking about risk, uh, that's something I think a lot of people uh, get nervous about or just try to like understand a little bit more when they're going to buy that business. Um, you know, I follow, I follow Will Smith. I've read Buy the Build and like a lot of those uh, books on uh, entrepreneurship through acquisition. And I know that you're, you're big in that space. But it's interesting to see how there's different ways to mitigate that risk because you start a businesses and you and you build businesses. Um, I feel like people in, in different camps like maybe obsess a little bit too much over one or the other and say the only way to get into entrepreneurship is to buy a bunch of real estate or to buy a business or to do one way or the other. I'm kind of curious how how you look at both sides of that. Like uh, I see, I know you post a lot about it, posted about when you should buy versus build and like what those situations look like. Can you kind of like just walk me through um, how you would decide whether to buy or build your first business? 
Yeah, that's a great question, Clay. I'd say there's there's a few things, right? A lot of it's going to depend on your goals of that business and the goals of whether it's a side project, whether you want to go something into full time, it's replacing your income, and and of course your skill sets. Um, I'll give you a couple examples, Clay. Like one of my friends is an incredible entrepreneur, absolutely fantastic. He's built some fantastic businesses, and the business he's building now, it's growing like thirty percent month over month. So you start doing the math on that, and it's absolutely insane. And um, at the same time, he is the best deal maker I know in terms of buying businesses. He is unbelievable. He's absolutely fantastic. The problem is, is the, the businesses that he buys, he, he it doesn't get him out of bed. It's, doesn't, it's not exciting for him. So that's a perfect example of someone who's got all the right skill sets, but he just doesn't want to go buy businesses. He's bought businesses. He's probably about four or five. And he's just created some really incredible structures where it's almost like a, a heads I win, tails I don't lose structure with everything. And he's done well. So I think if you're debating whether you should buy, you should build, right? Uh, there isn't a right or wrong path. It just depends on what you're trying to get out of it, right? And so I think um, there's, a, there's a, a few paths that you need to go down, right? A few questions to ask yourself internally. And, and one of them truly is, you know, what are the skill sets that you're actually bringing to the table, okay? Um, if you're bringing sales and marketing, or if you're bringing operations, if you're bringing, uh, you know, paid marketing, like advertising, or if you're bringing development, or whatever it is, you have to figure out what you're actually going to bring to the table. Um, and then I think what's also important is a lot of people, and I've, I, I do this all the time still, Clay, is I'll have this idea, I'll spin it up. A couple of days later, I've got a business. And then two years later, I'm like, wow, I'm still doing this business. Like, I didn't even figure out if I wanted to do this business. And I you know there's, there's power in acting fast, but there's also power in you know, thinking through, hey, where do I want to be 5, 10, 15 years from now and working yourself backwards, right? So if you think about starting a business from scratch, the risks you're taking are generally your time. Okay. Your time is you don't know if this business is going to work and you're starting something that hasn't really been proven out. You've got to, you know, you've got to get the first sale. You've got to figure out, you know, website, logo, all those fun stuff, really just get the first sale first mm -hmm. and then worry about everything else afterwards. Right. Most people start with like logo and business cards and email. Don't do that. Just get the first sale. But um, you have to go about that in a, in a specific way. Right. And, and a lot of times what you're foregoing is the foregone conclusion, whether this is going to work. Now, generally, something that has been working for 5, 10, 20 years is going to work for 5, 10, 20 years down the road. So if you're trying to save on time, it probably makes more sense to, to buy a business that's already existing and it's already making money. Um, but if you're like, hey, I'm, 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 I'm young or I've got all the time in the world, maybe it makes sense to actually start a business, right? And I think the other thing is depending on what you're trying to get from it, you know, whether you want this to replace your full-time income, uh, starting something from scratch sometimes can be really difficult especially if you have a full-time job or like, you know, many listeners of this podcast have a quota, right? I know how demanding quotas can be and how stressful those can be. So depending upon if you don't have any extra wiggle room on your, on your quota and day-to-day, -day, you've got a family and kids, Clay, like you don't have that much more time in the day um, to, to go out there and start a business and start from scratch, right? So it might make sense to actually buy something. Now let's take the reverse side of that too, Clay, is let's go out there and buy a business, right? Um, buying can also pose its own risks. There are, uh, are absolutely risks to buying a business. What you're typically doing with the business that you buy is skipping the first 5, 10, 20 years. Okay? You're skipping the stage of, I don't know if this is going to work. Well, in order for you to do that, there's no free lunch. You have to either have the cash you're going to put down for the business. So you, know, you have to work hard and save that money and put the cash down. You have to borrow that money. And in, and in the ranges that we're talking about, uh, you're going to sign personal guarantees, right? Banks aren't just going to give you money. 
uh, banks make their 6% every year without fail, which is why all the largest banks in the world are 200 years old, because they just don't fail. They get paid. But they also, as an entrepreneur, you can 2x, you can 3x, you can 10x your business, but the bank is still only going to make that 6%. So um, if you're trying to jump 5, 10, 20 years ahead and get to a point where you can support your family, it might make sense to buy. Um, I think in addition to that, Clay, you have to figure out where your risk tolerance is. Um, I've met some incredible entrepreneurs, but they were not able to handle even the slightest amount of risk or slightest amount of unknown, and it kept them stuck in what they were doing. I'm not saying go out there and accept a bunch of risk and just be okay with that, uh, but you have to understand if you're going to go out there and buy a business, I know you've had other people on, this, on the show, there are absolute risks to borrowing a bunch of money and doing it. And despite what Twitter says and what everybody says, it's not very easy. And I've had um, several personal guaranteed loans over the years. And it doesn't matter the amount. It will literally keep you up at night. The first night, you won't get any sleep. And then the next night, you'll wake up at three in the morning in cold sweats and being like, what, what did I just do, right? Why did I just do this? Um, but at the same time, I've had success buying businesses. I've had success starting businesses. I've had failures with both too. It just depends on what you're trying to get out of it. And then truly searching internally, what are your skill sets and what do you want to accomplish with that business? So hopefully that was helpful, but it's an exercise that everybody needs to go through with any of the projects that they're going on. Um, look, I have, a bit, I have a podcast about buying, buying businesses, Clay. I started it from scratch. Isn't that the exact opposite of what the whole podcast is about? <laughs> Should have bought a podcast and then started, you know, and then joined that podcast, right? So um, I laugh, but it, it, it isn't all like a, a one size fits all when it comes to do I start or do I, do I buy? Yeah, well, and I like your advice on, on if, you're, if you're starting. Uh, Nick Huber, I don't know if you follow, I'm sure you follow him on like LinkedIn, Twitter and everything. But one of the posts he had the other day was that if you're starting a business right now, you need to be profitable within the first two to three months. And I really like that because I think, like you said, it's really easy to get caught, caught up in like the uh, building a logo on a website and, and all these different things. But if you don't have the first customer lined up, then it's just not going to work. And I, and I have a couple of friends who are working on starting businesses and they already have clients lined up. Uh, and, and they barely have like an LLC formation, but they already have customers paying them. They're already doing the work. And so for them, all that stuff is kind of lagging, which I think is a better indicator because if you, if you don't have a business that's already doing hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars a year, you don't need to worry about having the prettiest site or uh, logo or anything because people don't even know who you are and you're not making money. Um, yeah, I'm a firm believer, Clay, that like if, if you can't go sell someone on your service or product or whatever before you have it, then you're probably not going to be able to do it afterwards. And that might seem, seem counterintuitive, but I've seen it over and over again that the, the most successful entrepreneurs, they're out there selling something they don't quite have yet, and they're getting the market feedback they need before they go spend three months putting together a website that nobody visits and a logo that nobody ever sees, right? Uh, go out there, get a few customers. There's obviously the differences of like, oh, you know, we're trying to change an industry. We're in software. Uh, obviously, you're in tech sales. So you got to go raise a bunch of money and, and those types of things. Um, I think that's actually um, uh, not the most common way of entrepreneurship that we should think about, Clay. I think like, like you're saying with Nick Huber, there's so many other forms of entrepreneurship that it can afford a great lifestyle, uh, allow you to be, you know, coaching your kids, soccer, basketball, um, have a comfortable home and a, and a great lifestyle without having to go raise VC money. But you can do that by um, just focusing on, hey, what do the customers want? And let me go sell them first to see if they actually want it. And then let me go figure out how to, you know, put it together, buy that, buy that business service or whatever it is. 
I, yeah, I think well, I, most people, I, most people play business, right? They just want to play business. They want to have a business card. They want to have a website in their domain, those types of things. You can spin those up in about 45 minutes, right? Now with, with AI and logos and, and a website, it takes 45 minutes to put up a website and everything. It shouldn't take you two months, right? But go out and figure out where you can find that first customer and then work yourself backwards and put all that stuff together. Yeah, I worked for a, a tech company about a year and a half ago, and we grew really, really quick. And that was like the CEO's basically his whole story. He he was out selling the product years before it ever existed. And I mean, he even did that when when products came out. And later, I think it kind of hurt because he would overpromise a little bit. But early on, <laughs> when you didn't have any money, uh, that's what you have to go do is is sell a vision, and then you can take that feedback of something instead of. Uh, having to go and reiterate a hundred times on a product, you can go and build it right the first time because you've already gotten the market feedback. You already know what what people want or what they need. Um, similar to uh, just running a really lean a lean startup or a small business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think there's you know if you think about salespeople, um, uh, since sales is a wonderful career clay. You can do a lot of businesses now. You know, 2024, you can do so many online businesses or consulting or, or e-commerce businesses or content site or, or even a YouTube channel. You can do all these things on the side. You can do all these things while still keeping mm -hmm. your day job. I'll give you a couple examples. I've worked with, so I help broker deals now and help put together buyers and sellers and structure deals. And there are, um, in the last 18 months, I've worked with a couple entrepreneurs, Clay, who've had fantastic day-to-day -day jobs. Their careers are wonderful. They've been in them for many, many years. They love their careers. It's not for sake of hating their jobs, right? They've started businesses on the side. They actually didn't buy the businesses. Both of them started the business from the side. Um, eventually, they were building this in a couple of years in. It was doing about 100. Each one of these businesses did about 120 to 150K a year on the side. So you can pack this on to their normal salary and career. And um, both of them got to a point where they're, they're, these two examples, their kids were old enough in their teenage years where they needed to spend more time with them and both were ready to exit their businesses, right? They both exited for, for mid six figures, great exits. And over the life of those businesses, they probably paid themselves a million to a million and a half dollars. I don't fully know, but both of them own these businesses for almost 10 years or above. And um, what's, what's just incredible about the story is I think there's entrepreneurship in many different forms. And you might say, hey, I've got, I've got you know, my sales career, it's going great, but th there's a lot of power to be able to make a dollar outside of your day-to-day -day job. It's very freeing. It's very fun. It's, it allows for flexibility. It allows you to, you know, pay for that vacation or car or just put it towards retirement or your kid's education or your kid's soccer team, whatever it is, right? Or you just save it, right? Or even, I think that the, the confidence that people get by making a dollar outside their W-2 is very, very powerful. And whether that's, they just go flip some things on Facebook marketplace or whether they go start a business or whether they just do a few things on the side. Um, I've known friends that have little side hustles that make $500 every Saturday. Well, you start doing the math and there's 50 Saturdays in the year, right? And all of a sudden, you know, that's $25,000 that they're going to make on the side by giving up some Netflix time on Saturday. So I don't think it has to fit into this one bucket. Um, at the same time, you can go out there and buy really incredible businesses that are making hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars a year. You can package them up, get an SBA loan. I've seen incredible people double, triple these businesses and then go off to sell them for life-changing money, right? So a lot of it depends on how you want to approach it. But even for your audience right now, if they're in a sales role, they can do entrepreneurial things on the side. And, you know, 
they're going to be a better person for it. And they'll probably be a better worker because I, in my opinion, it, it relieves the stress a little bit of just trying to pay your mortgage, but also relieves the stress a little bit of the creativity that it opens up. And some of the stuff I did on the side made me a better salesperson. I had better, better ways to communicate to my customers. I just felt like I was more effective. I was a better husband at home. Um, and as my kids get older, I'm able to do some of those things on the side with my kids and you know, teach them along the way. Yeah. And well, one of the things I'm hearing, like in, in what you're saying is some of these business owners got really good at one thing and it allowed them to uh, do jobs. They were outside of their specific role and they could build businesses that were almost adjacent to it. Because in college, I, work at play, I worked at Played Against Sport. We bought and sold used sporting goods. So on the weekend, I would go to yard sales and I already knew what Played Again would pay for things. And so I would go buy things for like 50 cents and then I'd sell to Played Again uh, on Monday and make a couple hundred bucks on the weekend because I already had a skill set. I knew how much the sporting equipment was worth. I knew how much I could sell for I played again. And so I was able to do that outside of my job. And for the last four years, I've worked in restaurant tech, selling anything from hiring software to websites. And, and now we're doing voice AI. And so I've had opportunities on the side to, uh, to sell other products or to do similar things that have helped me because I understand the restaurant industry pretty well. Just based off my experience, I understand what the biggest problems are. I, I know anything from like POS systems they like to the problems that they're trying to solve for, uh, you know, what it's like being understaffed. And so I feel like I'm an expert there. And part of my next move, I think, is trying to find something adjacent to, to restaurants where I can service them. Is there, is there a business? I even was reading old uh, Twitter uh, feeds from you talking about how there's some killer restaurant businesses you can buy servicing. And so uh, even just like reflective of what you just shared about people building businesses adjacent to what they're doing, I think I have the opportunity to do the same thing where I don't have access to a ton of capital, but I have a skill set and uh, a Rolodex in this same industry that I think there's something I can do that, that I can build uh, next to it because I already understand that. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing you said there too, Clay, is... Um... When you think about your background, right? Like you understand restaurants. You understand restaurants really well. Well, guess what? Like, so let's go deeper into that, right? Since you understand restaurants really well, um, there's different things in how you talk and how you interact with restaurants that like, you know, the average person like me who just orders something, goes in, picks it up and, you know, I, I don't understand how restaurants work, right? So whether you want to start a business or buy a business or it's a side hustle or a weekend warrior, whatever it is, right, Clay? Take what you're good at or what you, your experience in, is in and then apply it to whatever you're trying to buy or build, right? So in this case, there's a lot of different services or help that you could do from the restaurant space. Like, you know, in restaurants, you can probably go out and understand what, what they need from a website, right? And you could build a little agency selling websites or building websites. Or on the flip side, it could be something else where um, if you're familiar with XYZ industry, you can go service them or help them or consult on them. Um, but I think it... Whether, whether you're buying that business or building it, you have this insider knowledge of how this works. And I think that needs to be applicable to whatever you're going to go do um, on the side or full time or whatever. And I look at a, a lot of the most successful searchers you know, that are searching for a business, they have a lot of experience in a certain area and they go off and try to find mm -hmm. a business in that area. They were the GM, they were a salesperson in that niche and then they go off and try to do it themselves. Well, I, there's a lot of great ways that you can go about that entrepreneurship gene and the fact that you know so much about restaurants and how they operate 
you could go in and, and you know start selling used equipment. You could go in and start selling services. You you know all sorts of things, right? Um, I, I would probably probably imagine restaurants are hard uh, to actually just sell to, just because they got weird hours and they're crazy busy and their margins are so slim. But you know the things that they are willing to pay for and the pains that they're having to actually solve those. Oh, for sure. And like the thing I love about restaurants is pending uh, an apocalypse or a famine, we're always going to need restaurants. Personally, I'd never want to own a restaurant because the margins are so tight. The, the labor constraints are unyielding. Like you, you just real. never, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you're constantly hiring 18 year olds that don't care to be there and trying to retrain them and buy them into your mission. That's not the problem I want to deal with. But there are several businesses that sell to restaurants that make lots of money and um, that you can keep reservicing. Uh, for example, refrigeration uh like no one can ever get people to come out and, and work on their equipment so yeah there's a lot of different problems you can solve um within that but yeah i mean it's but i've spent the last several years i mean i i understand how why uh restaurant owners got into the business why they care about their customer service and uh how they look at cash flow and, and adding locations and the networks that they're a part of are they a part of associations or different like micro things to help me like understand how i could get lead gen and and stuff like that well Um, and all those things like you named four or five ideas that you could actually like if you wanted to go start these businesses you would have an insider knowledge of where they're hanging out mm -hmm. how to contact them in the needs that they have um whether you're doing it on the side or full-time it doesn't matter right you you now know so much more about this than like somebody like me who I wouldn't know the first thing about going in and trying to sell to a, a restaurant owner because I don't know what they I don't know what they need I don't know what the the hours are I don't know when I would contact them but you would know all <laughs> that and so I think you know as salespeople that are listening to this take what you're good at take what the you know has has made you stand out and then you could apply it to your own entrepreneurship venture right or even at the same time just apply it to further your role right entrepreneur like the whole sales model now is is essentially you're an entrepreneur in this territory or in this niche or whatever you're selling in the software um a couple of things that we did like at podium early on we started uh, a friend and i started the retail team right the podium didn't sell into the retail channel um, we found out really quickly that podium was not a good fit for restaurants so what we started to do is think well outside the box who are the people that are the micro influencers in this space right like you know we think of influence as the the instagram people right but Every industry has these micro influencers. We started to pair up with these different associations, and we treated our areas and our our niche and our vertical as our own little business, right? And we went and created these partnerships and went and spoke at all the events um, and hooked up the people at the top who were the the chairman of the board and the, they were on the councils and these things and created these unique partnerships with all the associations. And we were able to scale that business from zero to to. 10 million plus in revenue in, in less than two years because of the partnerships that we had created. And we would have never had any of that success as a, as salespeople if we hadn't treated our own area as like our own little business. And if we were thinking about how do we expand this faster, we came up with some unique ideas that were creative, which then got applied to a lot of the other industries. So I think there's, there's ways just to approach problems very create creatively. And what we did there, I've actually applied on on brokering stuff and other areas. So you're kind of taking everything that you're learning and all these different pieces. And how do you apply it to something that doesn't seem like it, it works, but it does. 
And you can even do that within your your own sales area. Uh, and you know, it's going to relieve you when you've got this steady stream of referrals. Your your quota is going to be significantly easier to hit when you've got people in your corner that are in the industry that love you and talk about you, and you've taken care of them. Well, yeah, and even like that 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 scenario you just talked about, I've heard of people doing the same thing where in a sales role or an IC role, they get really good at this one thing, and then they go monetize it outside of that. So, for example, I know somebody that got really good at doing direct mail. And then they went and opened their own direct mail agency because they got so good at it mm. within within that one job, which is a cool thing with, with sales. You're able to become an expert in this one area of driving revenue. And so if you could just go do that and find a way that you can do it on your own for even if you only made like an extra thousand dollars or a couple hundred dollars a month, it's easier to scale that because you're already an expert at that uh, at that skill. Absolutely. And it's, it's so powerful just to make a little bit here, a little bit there uh, from a confidence level, right? Uh, For sure. I, I, I've helped lots of people make a, an extra dollar on the side. And the second they do it, it's just like this freeing feeling. It's like, the, you know, even though they're, they're not trying to quit their job, they, they know they can actually make money on the side. And it's not something they have to rely on the government or rely on a, a business owner to hand them a check every you know, second Friday or something like that, right? Um, yeah, I, I, I love all that. I think there's also some things that you could dive into from a, a salesperson. Um, when, it, when it comes to salespeople and entrepreneurship, uh, is it okay if I kind of highlight a few things that I typically run into be, because I ran into them myself that were false yeah. and, and shortcomings as a salesperson when I, when I switched over to entrepreneurship. So when you think about owning a business, you're typically, uh, you're in control of everything. Like the accountability is massive, Clay. And that's why people are gravitated mm -hmm. towards it because the decisions that you make have a direct impact on you, your employees, your business, your customers. And of course, like how much take home you have. And sometimes you don't have that much flexibility when you're working for someone else, right? It's, you have to leave it up to, to someone else to make those decisions and it's sort of trickle down effect. Okay, so fast forward a little bit. As entrepreneurs uh, or as salespeople, there's a few things that we lack, right? And a lot of it is just owning the actual P&L. I didn't even know what a P&L was for a long time. It's a profit and loss statement, right? It basically says whether you're profitable and whether you're profitable on a monthly basis or quarterly, whatever time period you want. Typically, they're done like monthly, quarterly, and annually, right? Um, but when you don't own one of those, and when you're in software or when you're in sales, all revenue is good revenue, right? It doesn't matter whether it's actually good revenue or bad revenue. And um, you don't actually have true understanding of what the costs are to fulfill your product, right? You're on sell, 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 and that's what you're good at. And you're good at hitting numbers and getting quota, right? A lot of times the fulfillment is beyond you or actually the creation of the service or software or product is, is beyond you. So one of the things that I think is helpful for salespeople that I thought wildly beneficial for me is very early on, I had these side businesses, you know, this is 15 years ago where I had to own everything. I had to own the expenses and I had to own the revenue. And it taught me how the ins and outs work. And let me give you a real quick example. One of the most shocking things I see with, with people is when they get into a business that has physical costs, not software, but like inventory-based businesses, e-commerce, or they have to supply a product. That product can go bad. There's, there's real tangible cost to that product. And they'll buy that product and then they have to go off and sell it. You know, you typically, you, you buy in bulk, whether it's from a manufacturer, and then you go off and sell it, okay? Well, fast forward a little bit, right? Um, the faster you grow in an e-commerce business or an inventory-based business, the less cash you have because there's more and more money going towards that inventory. And you have to buy that inventory before you've been paid out on the previous set of inventory because you can't run out 
If you run out, you're not in business. Okay, so let's think about that a little bit. You actually are growing like crazy. So on the outside, everybody thinks you're crushing it and you're just, you got money flying out of your ears. But in reality, you have no money because it's all going back into inventory. Okay. That's a very consistent thing on a very simple scale or a simple level where salespeople don't understand the, the true ins and outs of what the costs are associated with running the business, operating the business, customer support, all the back end, you know, admin stuff. And so from a from a salesperson standpoint, it's grow, grow, grow. How do we get as much revenue as possible? But a salesperson that has had some background and good revenue and bad revenue, you're going to understand, oh, there are sometimes you need to say no, or the margins aren't good, or you, you just have had that experience running that P&L. And that, is, that, that will make you so much, the, the, the opportunity for you to be successful, the, the, the odds are in your favor is what I'm trying to say here, Clay. The odds are wildly in your favor versus, hey, I'm just going to dive in and I'm just going to go scale this thing to the moon and get as much revenue as possible. But then you don't realize you actually need, you know, if you're a home service business, you need techs to actually go support that. You need your trucks or your vans to go out there and support that. You need inventory to actually put the pipes in. You need to plan for these things beforehand rather than let me just go get a bunch of revenue. And I actually think building something on the side allows you to have those, those realizations and those gut punches before it starts to get uh, really big and the scale starts to, you know, get to a point where it's, you know, detrimental if you don't hit those services right. Well, and Ryan, you worked at you worked at startups too because you were early at Podium, you were early at Qualtrics, and in both of those places, you have to think like an owner. You have to think of it from the business perspective because it's it's not it's not the same as working at a big corporate company where it, all revenue is good revenue. I just want to hit my number. I just want to make money. Uh, when when you're working at a startup, you really have to think how does this impact the business because uh, it does. Every every person we add to headcount is a burn cost against our the fundraising that we just raised right and so you have to think uh, how are we forecasting why are quotas at the way that they are why are we selling customers the way that we are and and why are we worried about retention and churn the way that we are and so i think uh you know your perspective on being aware of of all those things and and running your own p l is, is super helpful and that's why i think that working at at least for working at startups for me has been super helpful just understanding why it's so important to be relentlessly resourceful on things because when I've tried starting businesses in the past, if if I spend way too much money on one thing and not on another, then that means uh, I'm 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 way behind, right? If I if I spend five hundred dollars on a website but not on on customer acquisition, it's it doesn't matter because that money's never coming back. Um, and so it's just really important to be aware of how much you're bringing in versus how much is going out the back door. Yeah, there was that brings up an interesting uh, conversation I had one time. There was uh, a couple of salespeople. We were all getting together and we were chatting, and we were actually talking with uh, the owner at the time, or, you know, who owned the, the majority share of the business. And we were talking about churn and what our churn was and what that looked like. And as salespeople, like we didn't really care. Uh, we were incentivized mm -hmm. for churn. It was like oh, get the revenue in and then move on, right? And then we found out one of our largest competitors had a churn rate of eight percent per month. We start doing the math: eight percent per month is actually 96% on a year over year basis. So basically they're starting at wow. zero January 1st every year. <laughs> well, what was interesting is we actually had to pause and like actually talk to the salespeople of like what churn meant and why that was so detrimental. And because they were chasing such bad revenue, we knew this, this competitor was eventually just going to go out of business because they, they couldn't, they couldn't sustain that. It wasn't sustainable. Whereas, you know, they're like, Oh, well, who cares if it's 8%? We'll go, you know, we got 92% still. Well, no, it's, 8% month over month. And so there are these, 
there's these little metrics that don't seem like um, a big deal to most salespeople. And then when you actually understand them, you realize they're, they're truly impactful to the business. And when you own that business, that, those decisions come back to you, right? So a lot of times that, that proper training beyond, let me just go get a bunch of revenue um, is, is, is tough. I'll give you another example. When I had my candy business, um, we had lots and lots of customers, tons. And when you're selling food, food is actually very low margin. You, way you make up for it is you just sell a crap of a ton of it. You just sell a ton of it. Mm-hmm. Like how much, how much candy can I sell? We had a candy business, right? Um, there were multiple times where we had to, we didn't have to, where we took on clients that in hindsight, we, we probably lost money on because we didn't actually factor in all the margins and the costs and the amount of headache they were going to be. And it ended up being just horrible revenue. And so as salespeople, whether it's something you're building on the side or building, you know, wanting to go out and buy, you have to be very careful. You, you want good revenue, right? You, you'd rather lower your expenses and have just good revenue than have very high expenses and have a bunch of revenue, but you have, you have no idea if that's good revenue because that can actually sink you. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, I think you're able to do that if you can test slowly into things without making any rash decisions. So if you just execute, execute, and you're able to, look back and see what's working versus not and then make a small pivot versus making rash decisions especially when you're trying to decide who your customer is and stuff like that um because i know at at a prior company i worked at we we sold to like seven different verticals and none of them were working and so finally we we zeroed in on like the one that we thought could work and it started working so we zeroed in even more and more and more and as we did that we were able to sell better and retain higher and so i think it's it's the same thing it's just that that principle of just testing a little bit at a time versus um, being all over the place. But uh, Ryan, it's it's been great having having you on the podcast and, and hearing just some of your perspectives on on business and, and buying versus building. Um, I guess are, are there any like lasting uh, last uh, pieces of feedback that you'd love to share or advice for salespeople trying to get into uh, entrepreneurship? Yeah, so this is very specific for salespeople wanting to get into entrepreneurship. Don't let the lifestyle creep get bad. And what I mean is, as you go further and further down your sales career, you're going to make more money and more money and more money. Some of the best entrepreneurs I know, or would be entrepreneurs, their truck payment is too high. They always have a brand new truck. Their house is too big. All those pieces that you know you know about Clay because you hang out in this world. Mm-hmm. Uh, that lifestyle creep prevented them from ever taking a chance on themselves. It it prevented them from having enough savings. It prevented them from, uh, you know, the lifestyle burn was too much. So don't let that happen. Um, and it's okay. You know, you want to be in sales forever. Sales is a wonderful career and there's always opportunity for salespeople. But if you want to go into entrepreneurship, expect that you're going to go through some valleys, expect that you're going to go through a winter, expect that you're going to have six months where you don't pay yourself. And, uh, you know, that $1,500 truck payment, uh, doesn't pay itself, you know, when you don't pay yourself for six months. So, and, uh, the, the last thing I would say too, Clay, is whatever time you think it's going to be to have a, a, the venture be successful, um, you should probably double or triple the time where you think it's going to be before you start paying yourself. Be very conservative on that and then don't let the lifestyle creep uh, get too high. I love that. Thank you so much, Ryan. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Clay. I see you. Dude. Oh, we're still recording here?